Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced, and welcome to another episode of Gnarly Data Waves. And this week's topic is going to be data as code with Dremio Arctic, ML experimentation and reproducibility on the lake house. Now, before we get started, of course, some announcements. So head over to Dremio.com and try out the Dremio test drive. Just click on that test drive button so that way you can get hands-on with the data lake house at no cost, no obligation in a few minutes. So that way you can see what the big fuss is about. But not only should you do that, but you should also be downloading uh, an early release copy of Apache Iceberg, the definitive guide, an early release copy of this new O'Reilly book slated for release early next year. Get your early copy by scanning that code now. Okay, we got plenty of episodes coming over the next couple months, okay, such as Dremio and the Data Lakehouse table formats next week, getting started with Dremio Data Reflections the week after that, simplifying data mesh with Dremio's Open Data Lakehouse, best practices for building a data lakehouse on ADLS, versioning data in the Data Lakehouse, Oh, so many great topics coming every Tuesday at the same bad place, same bad time. And of course, make sure to visit Dremio as we partner with AWS on the following events in Chicago, New York, and Toronto. So if you're here on these dates at these times, make sure to attend these events. You'll have a good time. Um, but also, Dremio will be present at all these events across the world, whether it's Coalesce by DBT in San Diego in October, uh, Big Data London in September, Big Data in AI Paris in September, Data Festival in June, and Big Data in AI World. Okay, so uh, make sure to check them out. Uh, there's always cool swag at the booth, so definitely worth stopping by. And with no further ado, let's get on to our feature presentation, Data as Code with Jeremy Arctic, ML Experimentation and Reproducibility on the Lake House. And to present, it's fellow developer advocate here at Dremio, Dipanka Mazumdar. The stage is yours. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to this new episode of Nali Data Waves. Uh, our today's session is about uh, data as code with Dremio Arctic. And specifically, we'll talk about how uh, machine learning experimentation and reproducibility uh, can be achieved in an environment like a data lake house. So let's get started. A little bit about me. I'm currently a developer advocate here at Dremio. And right, right now, I focus on a couple of open source projects like Apache Iceberg, uh, Project Nessie, um, Apache Arrow as well. Uh, as well as the Dremio's Lakehouse platform, like, you know, that computes, consists of the compute and, uh, you know, the Arctic catalog. And that's why we are here today to talk about Arctic a bit more about. And my past is in, was in like a BI machine learning and data science. Uh, and currently I'm also co-authoring the first book on Apache Iceberg. So that's pretty exciting. Um, this is on an early release program uh, as part of O'Reilly's uh, release. And that means uh, you have access to this book right now as we write the, write the chapters and, you know, make them available. So right now, two chapters are already out. So I would highly encourage you to like, you know, go and look at it and uh, basically uh, gather some feedback, you know, that way we can help make, make this book more robust and like make sure, you know, those feedbacks are aligned. So in terms of the agenda, we will first discuss a bit about uh, how experimentation and reproducibility are critical for machine learning. Uh, and then we will try to understand problems that we have today uh, to really make these two aspects seamless and easy for data scientists and machine learning engineers. Uh, after that, we will see how a lakehouse architecture and table format like Iceberg and a catalog like uh, Arctic basically solve some of this problem, uh, if not all of them. And uh, finally, we will introduce Dremio Arctic and see how it enables a data as code approach in a lakehouse architecture and how that in turn helps data scientists and machine learning engineers to run experiments and you know, uh, build models with agility. Uh, we will switch uh, between the presentation and live demo uh, in today's webinar. So it's going to be like a mix of it, like probably like 80, 20%. So yeah, you'll see me demoing Arctic. Uh, we'll go through the user interface of Arctic. We'll see how simple it is to run some query from Dremio's uh, Lakehouse platform. And then also we will use a Jupyter Notebook environment uh, that is be uh, for our experiments where we will be basically building our machine learning models, uh, you know, and taking it from there. So uh, let's get started. Um, so unlike the software engineering field, which is usually backed by uh, like established theoretical concepts, right? You know, we have uh, established concepts in the world of software engineering. Uh, in the world of machine learning, it basically takes a slightly different approach when it comes to uh, productionizing a particular data product. Uh, for in, the, in that case, it might be a machine learning model that has been put into production, right? So, so machine learning is more of an empirical procedure to test a hypothesis. And, and what I mean by that is that, uh, let's say, you know, just give, take an example. Uh, suppose we have a data set containing information about, let's say, uh, houses, right? Including features like uh, number of bedrooms, square footage, and location, and along with their corresponding sale prices, right? And we want to build a machine learning model that can predict the sale price of a house given these features, right? 
So in this case, the hypothesis could be that the sale price of a house is influenced by the number of bedrooms, square footage, and location, these features, right? So the machine learning algorithm will test this hypothesis by analyzing the provided data that, you know, all the data that we provide as a training data. And it will learn the relationship between the input features, that is all these features, like I talked about, the number of bedrooms, square footage, the location, and the target variable, which in this case would be the sale price. So that's how it basically starts with like an empirical procedure and uh, try to you know, test the hypothesis uh, based on this particular relationship that it learns uh, on the data. So it means that uh, machine learning models uh, rely heavily on a series of experiments uh, to decide the success or failure of a project. And there are usually a lot of experiments carried out before a model can be realistically deployed for critical task in production, right? So, you know, there are a lot of things like, you know, um, for example, if you see in this particular uh, screenshot here, uh, this is a typical experimentation environment and, uh, you know, a scenario uh, where we have a lot of things happening here. And I'm, I'm going to talk a bit about it in depth uh, later on. But uh, the most important thing to remember here is that uh, with experiments, right, there is also a huge probability to having to discard certain experiments uh, to ultimately come to a point where the model finally makes uh, non-generalized decisions. So that's the whole point of them, you know, building the model because, you know, we are not expecting the model to like, you know, uh, remember something or memorize something and make a prediction based on that, right? That would be like a, a wrong prediction. So whether or not a model makes into production, data scientists still need to spend considerable amount of time in experimentation process, right? And that's that's the kind of the main thing. And typically an experiment would involve, uh, you know, the process of changing uh, values of one or more variables and observing the effect on the outcome. So for example, a classification model on a different training set uh, can yield, uh, you know, different levels of accuracy, right? And depending on different uh, data. So as you can see on the image here, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we talked a bit, uh, but like there are different types of models here. There is the code itself. There are different segments of training and test data, you know, that is there. There are different features, hyperparameters. So it's it's a pretty, pretty messy environment to be honest. Though. So, but yeah, that's how, you know, typically how an experiment would look like uh, in the machine learning world as of uh, today. Um, so we have established that uh, experimentation is the heart and soul of machine learning, right? Uh, and we also realize that the problem is like with any scientific experiment, machine learning experiments are super hard to keep a track of. Uh, that's that's like the main cumbersome point. Uh, most importantly, we saw that there are a lot of like uh, components, like I said, you know, you know, they're super hard to keep a track of, like, you know, the code, the hyperparameters, the models itself. You'll be building, to be honest, a lot of models to be really putting something out in production as well. Uh, so it's really hard to keep a track of this, uh, this different different components, as you can uh, understand from uh, you know at, even at a smaller scale. Uh, so here is a quote from uh, a real world experience uh, that I was reading, and I personally come from that background as well. So I also have the experience uh, experience with you know, building machine learning models and experimentation and stuff. So you know uh, the situation can be you know we developed a highly accurate model after a series of experiments, but have a tough time figuring out uh, what resulted in that particular accuracy, right? as we use different data sets with varying features in different environments. Uh, so one of so some of the key things to like take away from this particular code is that, you know, they have developed a highly accurate model uh, based on a series of experiments, right? You know, and they have basically have a tough time figuring out what data set or what environment or what features that they use to build that particular model. So, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's super hard. And also it's super important to uh, understand that these parameters like to be able to track uh, like these parameters that I kind of presented here, these are very hard to track at scale, like, you know, as the number of experiment increases with you, right? Uh, in fact, most of the machine learning projects without proper tracking mechanism uh, have a common problem, and that is figuring out what these variables are, like, you know, what data set that you used, what features are used, what environment resulted in a particular accuracy of the model or any kind of evaluation metric that you decide to uh, evaluate your model on. And like I said, I personally like just to give an example. I have used in the you know Excel sheets to like track my experiments, and that was super bad and super hard. You know, just wasting a lot of time to figure out what data set I used, what what hyperparameters I tweaked, uh, what model I'm building. You know, it's really hard you know to keep a track unless and until you have a system or a process in place. So providing data scientists and machine learning engineers the flexibility to run uh, various experiments in changing environment is very critical. And, and that's what is the super, uh, you know, important problem to solve for us. And, you know, well, we have had MLOps machine learning operations for a while now. Uh, you know, you might have probably heard about MLOps, but, 
you know, we have had it for a while. Um, so we do understand uh, that at least to some good level, these problems can be achieved uh, by tracking two of the things. Uh, one is the data, which is super important. Uh, for example, the versions of the data, the commits, uh, what changes in the data, what training and test set I'm using. Uh, so that is super important to track. Uh, but also the model, right? You know, the model artifacts like the model pickle files, the you know configuration, the dependencies, and those kind of stuff. So uh, the learning from the, the solution to this problem of experimentation is that you need to provide some, uh, you know, you need to be able to track two of these things, the data and the model. And you also need to be able to provide this uh, flexibility to machine learning engineers and data scientists to be able to run these things uh, in a smoother way. Now, moving on from like uh, experimentation to our second use case, which is reproducibility, right? Uh, and that's another critical aspect of machine learning uh, that you want to build reproducible model. Um, so what is reproducible model? Basically, it's the ability to uh, recreate and obtain consistent results uh, or from machine learning experiments. You know, uh, any in a way, experiments are kind of related to reproducibility because, you know, uh, maybe there is a model that you have uh, developed based on a certain experiment and it's a highly robust model. And you want to be able to reproduce that kind of model, uh, you know, in different data sets, in different environments, and those kind of things. So it involves, uh, at a high level, it involves ensuring that the same code, uh, the same data, and experimental set setup can be used for by different researchers or practitioners uh, to achieve similar outcomes. That's the ultimate goal of uh, reproducibility in machine learning. Um, and reproducibility is very crucial, like I said, in most of the avenues. Uh, for example, uh, in machine learning research, it allows for verification, validation, and to be honest, uh, you know, comparing the results and, you know, it, in a way it promotes transparency, right? Uh, and that's the whole point of our research, open research, right? That you want to be able to, uh, for people to be able to reproduce the model. For example, you have built a really good state-of-the-art model and you write a paper about it and you, you know, publish the paper. And then an engineering team picks up a paper uh, and you know tries to implement the model, but they end up not being able to reproducing or achieving the similar kind of result uh, because of the problems that we are going to like you know see now. Uh, so some of the problems that I kind of like based on my experience and what industry is kind of like you know talking about in general is that one is uh, you know verification and validation, right? So uh, like I said, like why is it so important, right? In in the machine learning world, like you know why reproducibility part is so important. So first thing that comes to my mind is obviously like, you know, how do you verify the results of different experiments, right? You know, before we talk about this problem, it's important to get like why it is also important in the industry, right? Not only just the research part of it. So one is that. And the second part is that reproducibility makes it easier to debug and kind of troubleshoot machine learning models. Uh, so like, let's say if an issue arises in the deployment or operation of a machine learning system, uh, having those reproducible experiments enable developers like to pinpoint the exact source of the problem and understand the factors that can basically contribute to the issue. So in a way, you're able to reproduce, uh, you know, debug that issue using uh, reproducible models uh, before we put that into a production environment. Um, also, reproducibility facilitates like collaboration and knowledge sharing among team members and across different teams within an organization. Uh, you know, that's that's something that's uh, again very important. And Another important thing that comes to my mind on top of my head is that, you know, when you're trying to scale machine learning based system in production and, you know, you're trying to maintain the performance over time, it's important to be able to have those reproducible models because you want to be able to achieve those similar results, even when you scale the system and even, you know, bringing in different users or, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, features and stuff. So that's super important. Uh, like, Again, but there are some problems with reproducibility today, uh, and we are here to discuss about it and see how we can solve it using uh, Dremio Arctic and you know some kind of tools here. So one of the problem is that it, there's a lack of complete doc documentation. So uh, you know insufficient or incomplete documentation of the experimental setup. You know it's ideally expected that you would be you know documenting those things, uh, including the code, hyperparameters, uh, data set pre-processing steps, if any software dependencies and those kind of stuff. Uh, ultimately, the goal of this particular documentation would be to uh, be able to reproduce the results accurately, right? And second, like I said, with versioning and dependency management, right? In a machine learning model often rely on various libraries and frameworks and external dependencies. So if there are inconsistent versions or unmanaged dependencies, uh, that can lead to discrepancies in results between different environments. So uh, again, a very important factor to consider when you're trying to reproduce model. Uh, the most important thing among all these things is the data itself, right? You know, reproducing machine learning model experiments uh, require access to the similar or kind of same data sets used in the original kind of like uh, building the model. However, data changes with time, you know, uh, either some new ETL job has brought in some new records, uh, you know, either some, you have added some new features over a period of time, 
but you still be want to be able to achieve the similar kind of like you know evaluation metrics like accuracy uh, when even if you like change the data and like you know even if you have a different kind of environment and setup. So data is one of the most important aspect that you you should be super critical about, like because you know that's what uh, helps you like ultimately build uh, models, right? You know that's the whole core. And then the environment in general is also very important because with different you know varying environment, you will have varying like hardware configuration. Probably it can lead to different results. So you know that type of configuration you use also is super important. Uh, so and and we are going to see uh, and like we are going to see in action how these kind of like things uh, are taken care of in our current solution and how we can uh, take care of these problem uh, with the newer approach. Uh, again, here is a quote uh, that I have like personally seen it and you know, based on my experience. Uh, so it's like, uh, we are trying to achieve similar precision and accuracy uh, using the same model and code uh, that was released by our ML research team or basically our ML team, uh, but on a similar data set, right? But we can't seem to replicate. So that's again, a common thing, right? You know, it's, it's tough to verify those empirical results and claims made by a specific research paper or, or you know, some, some model that has been already uh, put into production uh, by your team and to be able to reproduce the experiments carried out in them. So it's super hard for that. Uh, also for machine learning models to be put into production in an enterprise environment, it is crucial to be able to replicate those results, right? Uh, based on those evaluation metrics like accuracy or precision and whatever those metrics are, uh, depending on your goals, uh, it's important to be able to you know, reproduce those results based on that so that you can ultimately put that model to production. So again, these problems could be solved by being able to track a few of this component. Um, like, like I said, the code itself is super important to be able to track uh, that the data set, entire data set, uh, different segments of the test set, the train sets, uh, it's super important. And the experimentation environment, we learned about that a bit. So these core, these three things are super important to be able to like, track uh, you know, uh, these things and so that we can easily reproduce machine learning models. So uh, in this particular talk, we will uh, keep our focus on the data artifacts, you know, and because data is basically the core to training and building a robust machine learning model, it is non-trivial to kind of focus on this particular component, uh, specifically for uh, when we're thinking about like architectures like data lakes and data lake houses, uh, which are mostly used by data scientists and you know, machine learning engineers. Uh, but again, like, you know, the other two components like the code, uh, for example, can obviously be tracked using GitHub, something like GitHub, or, you know, there are also like uh, notebook integrations as well now. So you can basically integrate Jupyter Notebook with a tool and, you know, they can keep a track of the code as well as you push it. Uh, and then for model artifacts, like, you know, like hyperparameters, like the model file and dependencies, uh, those are the artifacts uh, you can track using tools like open source tool, like DVC and stuff. Uh, again, there are also paid solutions around that. Uh, but our focus would be like, how do we, uh, track the data part of it and how do we use the data part of it to like build robust, uh, you know, machine learning models through experimentation and be able to reproduce this model. Uh, and that's why we're going to use Arctic for that. Uh, you know, that's the whole point of this talk. So uh, coming to our main point, how do we basically support experimentation and reproducibility in a lake house architecture? You know, we are talking about data lake and lake houses. Uh, so we know data lakes are basically one of the main source of information for data scientists and MLEs to like access data and build models, right? And, uh, you know, sometimes there is a feature store on top of that, uh, which is basically transform data. Uh, that's what a feature store is. But, uh, you know, in general for data scientists to be able to like build models, they will need direct access to a data lake storage, uh, you know, similar like a data lake house. And, and, you know, they can use that data to build the models. So just to give you a refresher, and I'm assuming most of you are aware of the data lakes and data lake houses uh, environment and architecture to some extent, uh, but I'll just give a high level picture so that it kind of you know remains as a mental picture as well uh, as, as, as I end this talk. So I'll start from the bottom, like to the top. Uh, I usually like take it from the bottom to the top to just explain what the different components are. And you know, so just let's quickly take a look on that part as well. Uh, so on the extreme bottom part, you have the data lake storage, which is basically your, um, can be a S3 bucket, it can be um, Google storage or ADLS, or even like on-premise system like HDFS or file system, right? And um, on top of that, you have the actual files, which is basically the files that are holding your data, right? You know, and this can be different file formats like Parquet or ORC or CSV, uh, JSON, any kind of like file. So, you know, it can be structured data, non-structured data, whatever it is. But in this case, uh, obviously, like we are talking, going to talk, talk primarily about tabular data. Uh, 
And on top of the file formats, you have basically uh, the table format. This is where a table format like Iceberg comes. And that's what I ultimately enables like the whole uh, lake house architecture. Uh, so in a nutshell, Iceberg takes care of like the metadata management. So like tracking different data sets, which would be hard to track in a data lake environment. And that's why we kind of like move from a data lake environment to like data lake house, uh, because, you know, it's really hard with like, you know, doing governance and stuff in a data lake, because usually it's more of like a storage and a dumping space. So there are really no governance or data quality. And unless and until you have like a quality data, you cannot really use it to like uh, build a model because ultimately the decisions would not be, uh, you know, reliable and stuff. Um, so again, we are going to learn a bit about these use cases and how Iceberg basically enables those use cases. Uh, but, you know, uh, another thing is that when data scientists, they directly access data from like raw data from the data lakes, it can be very slow, uh, depending on the compute engine and programming languages, like, you know, whether it's Python or something. So, you know, uh, it can be really hard to like access the data specifically because, uh, you know, MLEs and data scientists need normally, a, you know, larger amount of data, you know, unlike the BI world. So, you know, accessing that data using ODBC or JDBC might not be the right protocol. And you might have to use something like Arrow, Airflight. Uh, so that's very cumbersome as well. Uh, whereas with Iceberg, you have various pruning mechanisms to like limit data reads and stuff. And ultimately, you know, avoid scanning uh, more amount of data using those metadata files, uh, thereby making those read faster. Uh, so that's about Iceberg in a nutshell. You know, it's a table format. It's basically managing all those file formats that are below uh, the that level. And on top of the Iceberg table format, we have a component called Catalog, which is a modern meta store, uh, which is something that we require for Iceberg table uh, that brings uh, also in a Lakehouse environment that helps you to, like to keep a track of all the tables and the metadata that is there in your environment, right? So uh, one of the important thing with Iceberg is that uh, with normal file formats, you don't have those atomicity and consistency guarantees, right? When you're, for example, multiple uh, concurrent writers are writing data to the same kind of like file, it's hard to like, you know, log that thing and, you know, be able to maintain those guarantees. You know, you don't know whether those writes will be successful, uh, whether there might be some bug or, you know, some partial writes and stuff. So, you know, it's really hard to do those guarantees, uh, specifically those asset properties. Whereas Iceberg bring those properties and it does that using this particular catalog part. So this catalog, uh, you know, and this Iceberg ultimately enables us to like, you know, um, do those things like, for example, like branching, and you know those capabilities that we are going to talk about it today. So, catalog can be a lot of things. Like uh, you know, it can be uh, in a simple term, it can be a database or a data store that basically has some kind of a locking mechanism. Like I was telling, like you know, you just need that mechanism to like be able to uh, maintain those guarantees in in terms of like writing and concurrent writes and stuff. However, not every catalog brings those capabilities like data versioning and you know doing things like branching, which is our focus today. So Dremio Arctic is one such production-ready catalog with these capabilities. And you know, it allows us to do things like uh, experimentation and reproducibility in machine learning in a lakehouse environment. And we're going to see more uh, in the next slide about how, how it enables that thing. So ultimately, you know, uh, these two uh, things enables a data as code approach. Uh, the whole point is that you kind of manage data using a code-based approach. Uh, and we are going to see uh, how do we do that. So if we go back to the software engineering world, just for a moment, uh, it's hard to imagine developing code without a version control system like GitHub, like, you know, yeah, you know, just to give a comparison and, you know, it's really hard. Like if we take a world in which we put our source code uh, in, you know, files in a file share, and that's how we push software, you know, it will be really tough, right? You know, it's super hard. And to be honest, that's how kind of we are working with the data environments today. And, you know, so there is a need for, a, for you know, this kind of a system that kind of helps you to achieve uh, uh, some kind of a control in the versioning and uh, maintaining those versions, right? So what enables software engineering teams to achieve all of these, uh, you know, basically these things that we're going to discuss about in a moment is that, uh, you know, there are things like consistency, right? You know, you have with GitHub, you have a consistency of the whole environment. That is the whole code space. And really be able to do things like in isolation, like we discussed with the local branching, right? Uh, so you basically in a GitHub, what you do is like you have a main branch, and you create a local branch uh, so that you can do your own features building. You can, you know, add in new features or for example, like, you know, improvise some, something, right? Some code. And if those features are, you know, building is done, you basically merge that particular branch to the main, uh, deciding on the code review and everything, it will, you know, someone will help you push that part to, uh, to the main and, you know, bring it to those data to production. Uh, 
So we want similar things to be done in the you know data data or data engineering world, right? You know, we want to be able to like you know be able to do our local branching and you know have a bunch of uh, ingenious work on a single branch and do some ETL or you know do some experimentation and based on if we decide okay this is good enough for us to push it to the main, let's push it to the main, let's merge it. You know that's the whole point. And then you know obviously with experimentation that's another important aspect like that's our focus today like we want like uh, to be able to experiment without any barrier without any you know uh, impacting any kind of production workload so that's super important and most importantly the ability to verify those changes right before you push them out to production like I was telling you right in software engineering environment you have a process in place today right you know you have QA involved you have various tools involved uh, that makes sure those checks are kind of passed and finally helps you get that to production. So Dremio Arctic basically tries to do the same thing through a very similar functionality, actually. So one of the things is that like it brings like commits. So these are kind of atomic transactions that affect uh, you know multiple tables or views at once. And we're going to see uh, more about it. So what commit basically is at a high level, it is a state of the whole environment. So you can say that, hey, I have a commit at this point of the day and time, and I can you know take a look at the entire environment at that point of time as of that particular commit. Right, you know, you can basically uh, take a look at that particular data environment at that table uh, at a more granular level, uh, and you know, we can basically refer to that particular commit at any point of time because you know that's a commit. And also, you can create branches, like I was taking, talking about, right? So you know, this is branches on the data lakes, and I'll talk about this more specifically. Uh, but basically, you can create a branch of your entire data lake environment, and it's a free and virtual copy of your data lake. So ultimately, you're not making any extra copies. But you're basically just you know referring to those uh, different versions of the uh, branches or different versions of the table, and then you can do your stuff like you know for example experimentation and stuff. So you know you're free to do that. It also enables the use of tags uh, same way as there are GitHub Git Git tags, right? Where you basically you know for example in Git what you do is basically you label a specific version of a commit and say hey you know this is a tag you know so it's an immutable reference that is you cannot change a tag. So let's say I kind of like, you know, um, do some ETL and, you know, insert some new records to a table and I label the particular commit as a particular, you know, tag. So I can refer to the tag later in time and use it for my experiments or, you know, use it for some analysis or, you know, using it for some kind of like, you know, in production, you know, with my dashboards or like with models. So that that is super important to have. And it's it borrows a similar concept from the world of Git uh, with Arctic. As well as it merges, right? Uh, again, similar to Git merge, right? You, for example, do your experiment, and since you don't want to expose the new data or experiment to production environment yet, you can just work on your isolated branch and then decide to merge this branch to the main when you decide to, right? You know, when you are when you're sure. Okay, now I have you know done my experimentation. I am. I think this is good enough for me to like push into main and for you know making it available to others. So let's then merge it. So that kind of a flexibility right now is absent, and that's what Premio Arctic kind of targets and bring those capabilities to the world of data. So before we explore like uh, more on the Premio Arctic, it is important to note that Arctic is actually built off an open source project called uh, Project Nessie. Uh, so basically, Nessie uh, is a project that we built in-house in Premio a couple of years back, and then we outsourced it, like you know, made it open source. And so Nessie brings in like a Git-like experience for data lakes or lake houses. So all these features that we were talking about, like with the commits, tags, ultimately it, it, uh, with Arctic, it's built on top of Nessie. So it's a service and like, you know, it obviously has a lot of other features, but you know, that's what is kind of like good. And just to go have an idea of what it's on built on top of. So, you know, you can explore more and see, uh, you know, if that helps. So uh, Dremio Arctic, like I said, you know, Dremio Arctic brings these capabilities uh, with data versioning and such and enables a modern approach to data management and ultimately brings in a Git-like experience to the world of data. So a couple of things that we want to like focus on uh, today is isolation, version control and governance. Uh, so one of the things isolation, uh, that's our prime focus. Uh, we want to be able to create our isolated branches and be able to experiment with our data and, you know, build some models and, you know, run some experiments without impacting other users or in any kind of production workload. So that's important. And you know, second use case obviously can be you are ingesting or transforming the data before exposing it to other users. So you do that in isolation. And as you can see in the screenshot, you know, once you're done with like you know creating your branch and you know doing an experiment, you can merge it to the you know main environment. And I'm going to walk you through like you know uh, how, how to do that in the in, in the Dremio Arctic UI as well and from a Jupyter environment as well. It's part. 
And uh, obviously, like there is the version control. That's that's again a very important part of it. Uh, until this point, we didn't have any kind of a data version control. So you know, it's important that we keep a version of this data. And you know, this is where things like commits come into picture, and we are tracking those commits and be able to refer to these commits so we can reproduce models or dashboards, and you know, based on those historical time or tags. And also, you can recover from any mistake, right? For example, like yeah, you know, you there is some kind of like mistake on your environment, uh, an ingestion job, for example, leads to like some kind of a bad or zombie data, you can easily recover from the mistake, uh, you know, by ex by basically instantly undoing those changes and reverting back to a previous commits. Uh, so that's, uh, again, a great flexibility. And, you know, all the historical information is maintained in like uh, the Arctic version control system. And the most important part, which is like the governance part, right? And all this time with data leaks, we didn't have any governance at all. And that was kind of like the main problem. Right, so we don't know who changed the data, what changed the data, what impacted it. Uh, so it's it's really hard. Uh, whereas in Arctic, with Arctic, you know, you, all those changes with the metadata and the data itself are tracked, and basically you can see who has access to the data, who doesn't have, and also you can give the privileges, like you can give the access controls uh, based on a particular data on the table or a column or row level kind of thing. So you know there are different kind of access controls, and you can decide to uh, you know give access to people depending on the rules and everything. So it's, you know, that is also like super helpful for an environment like Data Lake House. So uh, now we will kind of switch gears and do some kind of a live tour uh, of Arctic. And like I said, uh, we will run some experiments. So I will switch from Arctic uh, to a Jupyter Notebook environment with Spark as the engine, hopefully, uh, just to show the seamless integration kind of with different technologies and stuff and how it flexibly uh, enables data scientists and MLEs to like basically do experiments and you know run reproducibility with the data part of it. The, so the focus is on the data part. So before we start, uh, just to give an idea of the setup uh, and like, you know, just coming from the previous picture that I had with like lake houses, um, it's important to know what we are building and you know what we are using in terms of the technology. So this is what our architecture looks like. And uh, so I have some of the data today in my S3 bucket, which is a data lake. And uh, you know, specifically, I have two CSV files. Again, this can be any file formats. There is no limitation to that. Uh, but I have two CSV files that I'm going to use it for this particular um, demo. And then on top of the file formats, I have the iceberg table format. So I'll be creating iceberg tables so that I can easily manage those you know, file formats and be able to take advantage of things like schema versioning, uh, you know, metadata management, um, uh, part schema evolution, and those kind of things easily. Uh, and for the purpose of like how uh, to show like how flexible and how multiple engine can use the data from different uh, for the same data set, we will use two engines here. One of the engine is Dremio Sonar, which is what we are going to use to create iceberg table and you know read some of the data. Uh, so a Dremio Lakehouse platform like uh, has two components. The Dremio Sonar is the computer engine, and Dremio Arctic is the catalog. So we are going to use the Dremio Sonar to create the tables, and we are going to use uh, you know expose those tables using Arctic catalog. And we're going to use uh, another engine called Spark, like Apache Spark, which is like you know pretty famous. Uh, and then we're using Spark to basically you know get into a Jupyter notebook environment and then use Scikit-Learn to build our machine learning model and you know see how we can uh, use the flexibility of Arctic uh, for for experimentation. And like I said, uh, on the right hand side there is the Arctic catalog. Uh, this is how we are exposing the different tables, uh, all the iceberg table that I'm creating in my environments, so that multiple uh, you know tools like in uh, Spark and Dremio or any other tools can easily access the table. So the most important thing to note here is that our data is in open formats. Like, you know, our data is in open table format like Iceberg. So multiple engines can use it for different tasks. Uh, you know, I can also bring in, for example, a streaming engine like a Flink, Apache Flink, right? And just sit on top of this particular engine list and it will have direct access to the Iceberg table. So this is the flexibility that we have with open table formats and with the Lakehouse architecture like uh, this, with Iceberg as that kind of table formats and you know catalogs like Arctic. Uh, so that's the overall setup of the environment. Okay, so just so I go um, before I move to the actual demo part, you know you can basically uh, just to get started with the Dremio Arctic and like like uh, you know Sonar in general, you have to sign up for Dremio Cloud. It's pretty easy, it's like like a list of step. And you can just you know follow this uh, instruction. I can also share an article, which is really easy and like you know provides the user experience to like go and like learn about how you can easily set up. And once you're done with that, you can basically uh, go to the next step, which is connecting to the data lake. Uh, so our, like I said, uh, our data is in an X3 bucket. Those CSV files, uh, like as you as you can see, they are highlighted over here. 
these two CSV files are there in my data lake called the Punker. Uh, and then, you know, those are uh, a strip bucket that I already connected to my Dremio environment. And, uh, you know, uh, my ultimate goal would be like to connect to that, uh, you know, data lake and be able to read those tables and create iceberg tables from that. So uh, let's, uh, for now, let's pause on this particular slide and let's go back to an environment where we can see uh, what things look like uh, on our Dremio environment. So this is where I'm in Dremio Cloud. And right now I have, you know, different projects here, obviously, like, you know, uh, these are my uh, catalogs, the different catalog that I was talking about with Arctic. And these are my different spaces or like kind of semantic layers here uh, so that you can make sure you know, data is in a particular format. And here are my different object stores. Like I said, you have to basically add a source here. Uh, if you're trying to use a S3 bucket, you can basically, you know, uh, connect to this particular source and you can provide some details over here and you should be able to connect it. Uh, for now, I already have a bucket that is connected over here and I'll go to my data sets folder and I can see my two data sets that I'm going to use it for my um, experiments today. And obviously, you know, as soon as I get it here, uh, you know, Dremio makes it super easy. For example, I can, you know, see the lineage, right? You know, that's super helpful as well. So for example, I can see, okay, my data was an S3 bucket. And now I have, you know, created, uh, you know, this data set that is connected from this S3 bucket. And these are the fields that are there in that particular uh, table right now with this data set. So uh, these are the two data sets that we have right now. And my first step, like I said, would be to create two iceberg tables uh, based on this particular two data files. So one of the easy way to do that is you can basically click on this particular two data sets. And once you do that, it will open up these things. Uh, and what I am, there are obviously like uh, two options to do that. Since these are CSV files, you can use the latest uh, copy into command and basically to create a table. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, one of the common things to do is like, you know, just say, hey, create a you know, table. I'll say Arctic, the catalog name. Uh, and I have a folder called ML demo. And I'll give the table name as, for example, let's say churn. And I'll say as uh, select star from this particular you know, data set. And as soon as you do that, what Dremio Sonar will do is convert the CSV file into an iceberg table. And I'm not going to run this because I already have two tables already. Uh, so, you know, but the statement basically is the same that I use. And as once I run this particular statement, I should have this table in my environment. So now if I go to my uh, Arctic here, and inside the Arctic catalog, I have my ML demo folder. Obviously, you can have folder or you cannot, but you know it's your choice. But once I go to this folder, I can see two iceberg table here and that I used to create based on the two data set that I had in my data lake, uh, those CSV file. So one is the churn and one is the churn October data. And as you can see, they have an iceberg icon. That means they are iceberg table. So if I open this up and, you know, for example, run this particular select star from Arctic, this particular table, uh, the Remu Sonar will execute this particular query and it will return the results. As you can see, there are 20 columns and, you know, uh, Remu re returns the results. I can see the number of rows here. So yeah, super important and super convenient to like be able to create. Uh, basically, you saw how easy it was to create an iceberg table and like, you know, execute that and take it from here. So Dremio makes it super easy as an interface uh, to do that. So now, um, you know, obviously in a real world environment, maybe data engineers would be uh, typically, they would be responsible for creating iceberg tables and making a data set available to data scientists. Uh, I personally, for this particular uh experiment or for this particular demo, I'm considering like myself on the shoes of a data scientist. So I'm imagining like, you know, those tables have been providing to me uh, by the data engineers. So yeah, so that's pretty much it. Like, so we have our tables now uh, that are already created in my Arctic catalog, uh, you know, with this particular two tables, CSV files. So now uh, my data for now, like, you know, we have connected uh, this particular table. And as you can see, these two tables are already created here. So my next step is basically uh, for my experiment, because I'll be, you know, building those machine learning models uh, using a Jupyter Notebook environment and in a different experimentation environment. What I'm trying to do is like, I'll basically, I have created a Docker image and I am basically create, going to host a Jupyter Notebook within that Docker image. So typically in the real world of like experimentation, that's how it typically works. Like you have some kind of a container and inside that container, you, you know, either have your code in some way and you basically share that container with other people so that they can use the same kind of environment to like, you know, build uh, the experiments and reproduce the results. So I have tried to basically replicate the same thing. So, uh, you know, this is what we are, we are going to see more about this. But in general, what I'm trying to achieve with this configuration in my notebook, and I'm going to go to the notebook in some time, but I'm going to try to connect Spark, Arctic, the catalog, and Iceberg. And this is what I'm trying to achieve with this setup. Again, pretty much boilerplate. Uh, 
you don't have to worry about like this configuration. It's all boilerplate that it's all a template. So I actually have a blog around that that is pretty much detailed. I think it would make sense for me to, you know, share after the presentation so that you get an idea. And actually it also has the Docker image. You can basically like pull the Docker image and start with the Riceback environment and, you know, connect to a different catalog, uh, like for example, Iaptic, and then you can easily get started or use something open source like Nessie as well. So just to go over a couple of you know parameters, obviously we have a configuration with Iceberg and like the Spark runtime, and then you know with the Nessie uh, for Arctic, and then we are going to create a catalog called Arctic here, as you can see, and then I'm telling it's a Nessie catalog, and that's what I'm telling Spark to do, and I'm also creating a warehouse directory and providing the location here because I'm going to write some data, right? You know, I'm going to probably like you know make some changes to the table and you know add some new changes and those kind of stuff, so that's where all the writes are going to happen in this particular S3 bucket. And the next uh, set of configuration is because uh, is the Arctic server. So basically, if you go to, uh, for example, here uh, to my Arctic catalogs, this is my catalog. If you go to the settings, again, these information are present in a blog and I can share all this information. So you will get the catalog endpoint over here and you have to basically copy this catalog environment uh, to your uh, Jupyter notebook and you can just you know add it here. And um, to connect Arctic, which is in a Dremuse environment, we are using an authentication mechanism. We have proper authentication mechanism in place so that right people can access the right set of data. So I'm using a you know beer token mechanism, and I'm, I'll pass the token over here. You can easily get that token from Dremuse environment. So for example, if you go to here under Sonar, and then here you can go to the account settings, and you can generate your personal access token uh, from here. So once you get the token information and supply it over here, you should be able to enable the extensions and you know you should be able to uh, be up and running with the Jupyter Notebook environment. So once you have this configuration ready, uh, and I already have this configuration ready in my um, Jupyter Notebook, uh, as you can see, uh, I have certain uh, you know parameters here, but I have all these settings over here. And now I have Spark running, which means my environment is all connected. So by this time point of time, I'm already connected to uh, Spark. Arctic and iceberg. So my notebook is connected to these three things. So now if I try to like, for example, like execute a command, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about a bit about, about this particular command, but just let's see like if our you know environment is working fine. Okay, was able to work fine. So our as part of the first step of this particular experimentation use case, let's go through. So we'll go through two of the use cases. So for our first use case, which is machine learning experimentation, uh, our goal would be to like train a classification model, a churn classification model with reduced features. Uh, Basically, our experimentation goal would be like to take a data set uh, and either to like add some new features or remove some features. For this exercise, we are going to look at removing the features and then compare its accuracy with our baseline model. Uh, hypothetically, let's say it's 92%. So if we gain improvements based on this particular uh, new improvised uh, you know, data set, then we will make the data set available to the main branch for users by other data scientists and other teams within the organization. Uh, but ultimately, we don't see any improvement. We are going to like discard the experiment, right? So that's our entire goal. But obviously, with like without like uh, pre the Arctic environment or like pre you know earlier days in with data lakes, uh, this isn't really possible, right? You know, the you would typically like do something like you would either like you know access the data directly on S3 bucket, and you know you'll just either make a copy because you might probably not have access to like right data to that particular you know, alter the data set, right? So you make a copy of the data set and you have to, you know, maintain that copy. And, you know, based on the particular copy, you have to build a model and, you know, see how you can basically find out a way, like figure out a way to like make that, you know, data set available to uh, other users as well. However, with Arctic and uh, Iceberg, uh, what we're going to basically do is we're going to create an isolated branch, right? An isolated environment where we can run our experimentations, right? So we do something like a create branch and we have our own environment with a zero copy version of the data set. And once we have that, we can you know do whatever we want to that data set and we can experiment it in a way that we like, build a model. And if we decide that the data set is good enough and our accuracy has improved, we are going to make that data set available to production by merging that particular branch that we kind of created, right? And if we decide that the experiment was not successful, it wasn't good. We'll just drop the branch and that's it. We're done with it. We have no liability in general. So uh, let's see this in action and, and try to understand like, you know, what happens uh, in our Jupyter Notebook environment here. So uh, so let's say uh, I'm in the main branch right now. Um, you don't have to like, you know, by default, you are in the main branch. This is the connection that I have. Uh, obviously, I can see all the list of the branches over here. If I execute this particular command, which is list of references in Arctic, it'll basically give me all the branches that I have right now uh, in my environment. 
So I'm going to say create a branch ML experiment for this particular experimentation use case. And once I do that, uh, Arctic will create a new branch and it will assign a hash. And this is how Arctic is basically internally tracking it. And I have a new branch for your ML experiment. So if I go to my Dremio environment and you know go to my uh, Arctic uh, catalog, I can basically see a new branch over here, which is called ML experiment. And remember my two data set actually were uh, in the ML demo folder in the main. And uh, these are the churn and the churn October data. That's the two data set we're going to use today. So instead of like using the data from a production environment, I'm now created by isolated branch. So I can just go over there and I will have the same data set, which is a no copy version, like I said. And you know, if I want, if I open this particular data set, I can basically uh, see that, you know, um, what my data sets, uh, you know, records are. So I have 20 columns right now. Uh, there are a couple of records over here and you know let's do uh, let's try to do that in the Jupyter notebook environment so once i create a branch i have to since i'm right now in by default i'm in the main branch i have to basically change the branch switch it to my new branch to do that i'll just say use reference this new branch and once i execute this i'll be in my new branch okay and now if i do like a select star from this i should be able to see the same record as we saw here in uh Dremio, uh interface so obviously, uh, you know, now we are using like Spark and as a, as a query engine. So, you know, we are going to see uh, what happens when we are kind of using Spark to like load the data set, because ultimately, you know, the whole point of this exercise is that we would use multiple engines to like train, uh, you know, use different kind of applications and models. So once this particular uh, demo, uh, this particular data loads, uh, then I'm going to like just alter. I'm not going to like do a demo of the entire thing, but you know, just to give an idea, like, you know, I'm going to basically uh, drop a couple of the columns as part of my experiment. Remember we talked about how you need to use a reduced version of the data set because, you know, let's say based on our initial analysis and our kind of like uh, uh, exploratory data analysis, we figured out that some of the features are highly correlated. So we don't need all the features. Uh, so we might want to just drop a couple of them, right? So the most important thing to do note over here is after I execute this alter table and drop this particular column from my table, I am actually not impacting anything on the production table, right? You know, as we can see, we are basically in our own local branch called ML experiment. So now that the table has been deleted, now if I go to and execute this particular command here and do a select star in Dremio, I should be able to see only nine columns because I have basically dropped out all the unrelevant uh, columns for my model to be trained on. So uh, if you give a couple of minutes here, uh, you can see here only nine columns we have, and you know we have uh, this many records now, so that's really good. So now if I go and use Spark to basically read that particular table, we can just basically put it into a data frame for you know putting it into our machine learning model. So we're going to just do that, and as you can see, uh, you know Spark is basically reading it to a particular data frame right now, and after that we're going to like just see idea. This is the data set that we have right now. And I'm going to do a dummy encoding. Again, I'm not going to uh, go deep on the model building part here because I'm assuming uh, you have an idea on that part. So I'm going to just show what happens just when I train the model. So the model is being trained right now. With, it's, it's a random forest classifier. Uh, so yeah, again, the choice of model can be something else as well. Uh, so we have right at this, uh, until this point, we have basically used a reduced version of the data set uh, that we kind of use for our experiment and train the machine learning model, right? And if we do an evaluation, we can see that the model accuracy is 82%, which as per our initial goal was 92% baseline and it didn't meet our goal, right? So it means so that means our experiment wasn't really successful. Uh, so our data set is not good enough to be made available to production. Uh, even if you do something like a hyperparameter tuning, the best parameters uh, that you get and the best score that you get is 87%, that's not good enough. And once I'm done with the experiment, because I'm not going to use this particular branch to merge it, I will just drop that particular branch uh, from my environment using this command drop branch. Uh, and if you go to now our environment uh, in Dremio UI, uh, just to see how it looks like, you can see that the branch is no longer available because obviously we have deleted that branch. So I'm going to just use the main branch. And just to make sure uh, our table uh, that's in the main branch, that's totally intact. You know, there is no harm in this particular table because of whatever we did. So it's all in line. Uh, obviously, if you wanted to, like, if our experiment would have been successful, we would have productionized it and we would have made, merged this branch to main. And all we had to do is, like, merge branch this particular name to the main, and that's all. You know, that's all we had to do. Now, for our second use case, which is ML uh, reproducibility, and the whole point of this particular reproducibility exercise is to basically take a model and, you know, use it on two different versions of the data set. Okay. And we're going to go through the same process. We're going to create an isolated environment so that we don't impact our main table, production table. And based on that particular uh, branch, we are going to create two different commits of the table. 
hypothetically for this particular demo, we'll assume that uh, one version is after we kind of ingest some more data after ATL job. So let's try to do that. So I'll go to the Jupyter environment once again, and I'll just say, uh, now I'm in the previous branch, so I'll just go to the main branch uh, and just switch to the main. I'm going to create a new branch called uh, ML Repro uh, Demo. Uh, and then that should create a new branch over here as well. As you can see uh, in here, we'll be saying ML Repro Demo. So that branch is here. So we are all good with our copy and everything. And now we can basically, uh, since we have, uh, you know, I like I said, basically once I create this new branch and go to this particular branch, I already have my tables over here, right? Now, now in this particular use case, I'm going to use the churn October data. And this is, imagine this is the data till the month of October, okay? So we have like 20 columns, 935 records, similar thing over here. Uh, I'm going to just label this particular commit up version so that any new commits that happen after this doesn't impact this version of the table. So I'm going to just say, hey, create uh, you know October month uh, tag, and I'm going to just label it create uh, October month tag. And once I do that, and I use that particular reference uh, tag to understand the number of records, I, I should be able to see the count of 935 records. So uh, basically, I use the tag to reference because you know I want to make sure I'm in that particular tag version of the data set in that particular commit. So uh, that's what I did. And after a couple of minutes, I see the record as 9.35. So now let's uh, hypothetically, let's say that we have a ETL job ingesting some new data to that you know, table. So we bring in some new data and new features and stuff. So I'm going to go back to that repository um, that was called ML Repro Demo. And I'm going to, uh, just to mimic that scenario, I have a CSV file that has some new records. So I'm going to just in insert the two records, okay? And I'm going to insert it to that uh, October data uh, table, which is uh, this particular table. So now the insertion job uh, is running. The ingestion job is running. Give it a couple more minutes. Uh, and then I should have the data in that new uh, table. Uh, so Spark is still executing. And once I finish this particular step, it will insert. So here we created a temporary view. That's a really good practice to like, you know, insert some data without really, you know, making uh, any impact of anything else. And once I do this, Sparks will basically insert the records. And I should be able to even query that record from Dremio over here after I do that. So, you know, the flexibility with like a Lakehouse environment is that, you know, since you're using like an open table format like Iceberg, basically it's accessible to those two different engines. Like, you know, we are basically switching from Dremio Sonar to Spark. So that's really great. So I'm going to just label this new tag as a November month data so that we know that this new insertion job brought in this new data. Okay. And now if I use this particular tag over here as a reference and get the count of the number of record, I see the count of the record. Okay. And if we run this count, now we should be able to see the new inserted, newly inserted record from my ingestion job. So it brought in 300 records. So now we have 1235 records similar from here. Even in Dremio uh, environment, uh, you should be able to see 1235 record now. So now it's the same thing. Uh, so now at this point of time, we have two data sets. One is the October month data, one is the November month data. So I'm going to use these two different you know, data sets to build our machine learning model, to use our machine learning model and see if we can reproduce the, you know, the, the model on these two data sets. So I'm going to say use reference this. And then I'm going to load it to a Spark table like we did in the previous exercise with experimentation. Uh, we're going to put it in the data frame. And after we put it into a data frame, uh, we have like, just to confirm, we have 935 record. I'm going to drop a few of this column, do some dummy encoding, prepare the table, and then train our model. And once we train our model, we should be able to see the accuracy of the model and how it behaves. So right now our baseline model that we brought, this particular same random forest model, has an accuracy on 92% on other data set that we kind of trained that model on. And we want to see where the same accuracy can be achieved on this particular two uh, different version of the data sets. So as you can see, the model has completed training. And if we try to figure out the accuracy, it's 94%, which is good. Like, you know, our baseline was 92, but the model was able to like, you know, get some more, uh, you know, accuracy over here. And similarly for the November month data, uh, you know, I'll do the same, use reference this. And I'm going to go to the same process. I'm not going to run it again, but in general, the accuracy that I've observed is 96% with the new November month data. Again, the accuracy has improved from our baseline model. So that's really good. So ultimately, you know, what we were able to achieve through this particular exercise is that we were able to like bring our model, which we had a baseline accuracy of 92%, which is good enough to bring it to different data sets. And you know, how Arctic enabled us to do that is by creating different tag version of the data set. 
and allow us to be flexible in you know using different models for reproducibility purposes. So that is pretty much that I wanted to show in terms of the value gain, I guess, uh, with uh, with the experimentation part, we were able to flexibly experiment. We didn't have to worry about any impacting any production workload. Uh, we knew the data set was not good enough for us to promote to the branch. So we dropped the particular branch. Similarly, with reproducibility, we were able to create tag version of the data set and we will keep a track of this tag version. And you know, it really went up well. So that is all. Uh, if you have any questions around this, I'd be happy to take. And uh, you know, and thank you so much uh, for today. And we're gonna begin the Q and A session. Okay. So first off, we we, we see uh, a a message thanking you, Dipankar, for what was an amazing presentation. So thank you very much. So sure. uh, let me just mark that one as answered. Okay. And there's another thank you. So that's cool. Okay. So let me. Mark, those was answered. Okay, we have a question from Jordan uh, Milushev. Uh, while merging, how are potential data differences in the two branches handled? Yeah, so I think internally, like, uh, uh, and Alex, you can add to that, uh, but mm -hmm. ultimately, I think it depends on uh, basically those manifest lists and the manifest files and whether, like, those, how they are tracking it, whether they are, like, you know, data records are to be appended or removed. So I think uh, it all depends on that. Uh, but do you have anything uh, to add to that? And also it follows the kind of conflict uh, uh, resolution policies, if there is any kind of like, you know, conflict to the branches and how you can resolve it. So that is taken care by uh, Iceberg spec as well. Yep, okay. So basically, yeah, so that's this 100% right. Where basically right now it's doing sort of like a, uh, a shallow uh, commit or shallow merge. So generally like best practice with the state of Nessie currently would be to have sort of a, uh, for ingestion, have a single ETL branch, then you're going to kind of avoid any merge conflicts whatsoever. Um, right now, if you start trying to do ingestion across multiple branches, you're probably are likely going to hit merge conflicts and hit walls. Um, what part of the project's roadmap is to start capturing more catalog level statistics. Um, so that way, th th using those catalog level statistics, you can create more complex sort of merging logic. So that way you run into right. merge conflicts. Uh, you, well, you won't run into merge conflicts in more complex patterns. So, right. Um, but right now, you, I would just, you know, say create an ingestion branch, do your ingestion on the branch, then ingest it. And then generally any experimental branches are just experimental branches. There's no intention to merge. So you shouldn't run yeah. into kind of merge conflicts and tags right. and things like that. So, right. Also, just to clarify on that, like, obviously, as part of this particular demo, like uh, the whole point was to show just to like add some record and show the differences. But like you said, you know, for like things like ETL and stuff, it might be a good idea to like, uh, you know, uh, do kind of like shallow thing. Cool. Uh, now, how could I use uh, Nessie to do, I mean, how could I use like Dremio Arctic to do data quality checks, like like a write audit publish pattern? Is that something I can do with with with, with Arctic? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like uh, in a way, actually, because you are doing things at a catalog level, it's actually better because it has more controls towards it. And uh, Apache Iceberg by default provides ability to do that. But now since you're able to do that at a catalog level, I think you can, you know, there is an ability to like do that data quality perspective from, from a multiple table perspective as well. So you can basically, you know, bring in a third party data quality tool. You can write data to a particular isolated branch and run your quality checks for multiple tables at the same time. And, you know, that that's a great way like uh, to just be able to check quality for a couple of your Iceberg tables. Okay. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, and then I guess last question is sort of like, you know, how would this be different than me like tagging a table uh, with the the new sort of native branching and tagging capability in iceberg tables? Yeah, for yeah, that, that's the the difference between uh, the native capabilities of branching and tagging uh, is that like that applies at a table level, while Arctic works at or the works at a catalog level. So I think um, the whole point is that you are have uh, the whole and the entire code space for the entire environment of the data lake because now you're using a catalog on top of that and you are not just dealing with one particular table. So I think that's the difference, and I, I think it's also like from like my experience of like working on both the part. I think it's also more agile, like to be be able to like you know create a complete code space of your environment and be able to do things like in isolation. Uh, but again, uh, if your use cases are just limited to, for example, uh, you know being able to just uh, commit a uh, you know name label a particular snapshot in Iceberg uh, and use it for like GDPR like an audits, right? That might be something where you want to use like the native capabilities. Okay, really cool. Okay, yeah. I think. We're pretty much just short on time. And now, for those of you who are excited about Iceberg and all this fun, cool stuff, next week we'll be talking more about table formats. We're going to be talking about sort of Dremio and its story with different table formats. So we're going to re-go over, you know, what is Iceberg? What is Apache Hoodie? What is Delta Lake? 
uh, sort of like what is Dremio's functionalities with them? If you're using one of these formats, how would you use Dremio? Um, so be there next week, same bad time, same bad place. Again, this will be posted on Dremio's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dremio within, uh, within 48 hours. And will also be available on Spotify if you subscribe to the Gnarly Data Waves podcast. But again, always love to see everybody. Again, thank you again to Pankar for a great presentation. I'll see you all next week. Thank you, everyone. Right. Take care. Bye.